Benvenidos and welcome to the Platform Latino podcast, where we profile, highlight, and bring to the airwaves the successes of our community and those helping us to get us there. I'm your host, Osvaldo Valdez, and I'd like to thank you for joining us and enjoy the show. Today's guest I have been a fan of for several years now. Every time I log on to LinkedIn, I see her winning another award or celebrating another accomplishment. It was a blessing that I was able to meet her at the Negotias Now Leaders Under 30 here in New York City. On top of all of that, she is friendly, modest, and that brings us here today to talk with Lucy Pinto. How Ooh, are you doing, Lucy? Good. And... I'm also a Lambda lady, and you are a Lambda man. <laughs> Definitely. That was how we were all keeping the same network, and I was able to, you know, follow her successes and um, and kind of, you know, show common trends, and then she was happy to, to be here on the podcast. So I thank you for being here. It's my pleasure. My pleasure. So I like to start off each podcast and just kind of learn a little bit about you, like your, your upbringing, where you're raised, um, what kind of family life and, and all that. Yeah, sure. Sure. Um, happy to be here and happy to share. So a little bit about me. I was born in Lima, Peru, and I moved with my family at the age of eight. My parents were in their 40s, so it was a big change for our family. And the reason why we moved to the States was because Things just weren't good in Peru. You know, we, um, economically speaking, I think my family and the entire country wasn't doing very well. And uh, there wasn't really much opportunity for us there. So my parents made the decision um, to come to the States. We already had some family members in the U.S. And they came here, you know, seeking better opportunity, better life for their children. It was really for their children because, like I said, they were already in their 40s. So they knew that themselves they weren't really going to get much out right um of the transition but they really wanted more opportunities for us so i am the youngest of three i have an older brother who lives in new jersey and i have an older sister who lives near um, athens georgia and when my parents came to the states i remember my dad came first and my brother came right after with him i think (laughs) i can't remember all the specific details but they came to the States um, and they were working in New Jersey near family, warehouse jobs, very manual, harsh, you know, hours. And they were really trying to build up, you know, save their little money, build up um, furniture and, and an apartment for, for us, my mom, my sister and I to come and live with them. The interesting thing that happened was that a family, uh, a friend of a family member reached out, I think mentioned to my mom and my dad that, you know, Georgia had a lot of job opportunities at that point. And we're like, Georgia? Like, where is that? They're like, it's right above Florida because, you know, all Latinos know where Florida is. So <laughs> they're like, yeah, it's right above right above Florida. We're like, all right, you know, we'll come. We'll check it out. Now, my parents, um, being new to the States, they – they knew that they wanted to be close to family, but they didn't love, they really did not love New Jersey, uh, particularly the area that we were around. And um, I mean, now that I live in Jersey, I'm like, what do you mean? This is a lovely area. <laughs> but of course, being new to the country, you know, you're like, oh, I don't, I don't know what I don't know. So when they checked out Georgia, and it was specifically Athens, Georgia, good old college town, go dogs. <laughs> I know you're looking at me like, ah, <laughs> that's a college no, town, yes. Yeah, no, I'm not a big fan of UF, so anybody that that's a, a rival to the University of Florida, I'm all behind. Oh, so. yeah, really? <laughs> I thought it was the opposite. Okay, yeah. well, that's good. Um, so they, they checked out Athens. They were like, wow, this is really like a rural town. There are better um, better jobs here in terms of maybe not so much pay, but in terms of just opportunity and, and growth. So my parents decided to just, you know, plant their seeds in Athens, Georgia, left New Jersey. I didn't even, I don't think I, I don't even lived in New Jersey. My dad, my brother were living there and they're like, okay, we're going to move down south. My brother ended up staying in Jersey because he had already, you know, made some friends 
and he's really into the music industry, so he stayed in Jersey. And then my dad, my mom, my sister, and I moved down south, and we, you know, grew up in Athens, Georgia, a little southern town, um, and went to the University of Georgia there, graduated, and then moved to Cali when I uh, got my job with Google. What's interesting about the story is that, um, you know, we came to the U.S. legally, meaning with, you know, a visa, everything, but we overstay that visa. And at the point at which you overstay your visa, you become undocumented. So for a long period of, of my life uh, and, you know, my, my family's uh, life here in the U.S., we were undocumented. And so the whole concept of like going to college or, you know, uh, getting a job professionally, it was it was tough, you know. Like my parents had to take, you know, really uh, harsh jobs even down south, even though there were more opportunities for it. But, you know, they had to take really like labor's jobs because they could not, their status couldn't really provide them anything else other than that. Um, and so from there, um, thankfully, we were able to legalize our status um, and, you know, I was able to apply to go to college, but, um, my, my siblings didn't have that opportunity. Um, so I became the first one in my family to go to college, finish college and, you know, get, get a job in corporate America. My siblings are doing fine now. You know, they have, um, spouses, they, they married Puerto Ricans and, and other folks who, you know, um, through their relationships, which, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, were they, were they for this? Were they for that? No, there weren't. Like, these are actually genuine relationships. They have children and families. Um, but they've been able to um, to become, you know, legal citizens. But um, at that point in time, I was the first one to go to, to, to school. And, and, and it was I was that guinea pig, you know. Now I look at my nieces and nephews and I'm like, hey, you know, I got you. Anything you need. Fabza, I can help you. Um, essays. I can help you. Um, and, and it's it's that door, right, that my parents were coming here for to open for their kids. So that's my story. No, definitely. And uh, I remember reading about that you got, um, I guess, documented or became an American citizen during high school, right? Was mm -hmm. it at the end, beginning, middle? Yeah, it was towards, it was towards the middle, I would say. Well, no. So... I didn't become a citizen until I was 21. So oh. I was a permanent resident. Oh, okay. So I got my residency, I want to say like 10th or 11th grade. Okay. Um, and then at that point, you know, I was able to to apply to college. But I became a citizen when I was 21. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> no, I was just curious, like in those first few years of high school, were there any times where you wanted to apply for something or go for an opportunity that because of your, your status, you weren't able to? I don't recall if I um, had to apply to something in particular, but I just remember kind of living in constant fear of, am I going to be able to go to college, right? Because I was top of my class. I was like top 10. Um, I was always like getting, you know, my A's and passing my tests and I was taking AP courses. And I just remember thinking like, am I doing this for nothing? Like, am I going to, am I like busting my butt in these classes, you know, reading, writing, doing all these tests for nothing. And there was that fear in me. Like, I know that I'm capable of doing that. And at that point, I remember like looking, okay, what are my opportunities if I don't, if I, if I don't qualify for, you know, the benefits that a legal permanent resident or a citizen does. And um, I remember looking and doing research and say okay there are some schools that will take you but you have to pay out-of-state tuition mm. and i was like oh my gosh okay so you know if that's the only option i might have to do that but then i'm gonna be like in like high debt and you know debt to me was so unfamiliar like my, my family in peru like we didn't accumulate debt like debt was non-existent mm -hmm. you know so it's still um, not existing in a lot of South America. It's like exactly, a yeah, it's a foreign concept, right? They're like credit cards. What do you mean? Mm -hmm. um, and so, so I didn't. I wasn't. I wasn't raised, you know, knowing how to do like uh, credit management and, and loan management. Um, but that was going to be my only option. And so I, I was exploring how can I, how can I go and pay for it? <laughs> and then it just got very depressing from there. <laughs> from there. Um, and 
yeah, and, and that that was it. I, I don't remember though specifically like uh, you know any opportunities that I didn't get at that point because mm-hmm. I was still like in ninth, tenth grade. Um, but you know, moving forward, that was my fear, like living in, in constant fear that I wouldn't be able to go to college because I knew academically speaking that I was more than qualified to get those like yeah. scholarships and get that help. Um, and so that's what I was thinking in, in my train of thought. No, I, I, I asked because like, you know, you, you are very successful. You did well in high school, as you mentioned, your top 10. But what what kind of helped you suppress that fear of knowing and like also keep you motivated because you, you didn't know at that time if you were going to get your, your status changed. Mm-hmm. So like, but you still were able to accomplish a lot. Like mm-hmm. what, what kind of was your, the beat of your drum that is like, okay, forget all that fear. I don't know what's going to happen, but how, how am I going to still continue? Yeah. So I was very fortunate that, you know, my parents, um, they finished the equivalent of high school in Peru. Neither went to college. Um, but they knew what education could provide or what education could bring. And it's not just about, you know, being like educated for the purpose of being educated, but being educated so that you use that to your advantage and nobody can tell you a lie. Right. So, um, they inculcated these values in me of like, listen, you, you, you have to, you know, get, you have to have an education and you have to learn because what you know, nobody can take away from you. And so it was that kind of spark from a very early age and very formative years that kind of transcended into, you know, me getting involved in high school and doing the things despite not knowing what might come out, right? It was one of those things where it's like, all right, I'm going to prepare myself for myself. Um, and I know that at some point I'm going to be okay. I know that at some point... Hopefully I make it to college, um, but I'm going to do this because I know that the knowledge that I'm building right now is not something that anyone can take away from me, and I know that I'm at some point it's going to serve me well. So luckily, right, um, I was able to get on a trajectory and legalize my status to where I, I created a, a path for myself using the preparation from the past um, to move me forward, but I think like for me, even if I had not, you know, gone to college, um, there is always that learner mentality that I have that like, I'm still going to go out and seek information and try to, um, grow myself, whether I get the accolades or not. Awesome. No, it's important too, because I'm sure there's other people out there that some are in college because I know there are some, some States that allow, um, undocumented or however you want to call it students still still attend their university for in-state tuition with in-state tuition which is very good and progressive and it's much needed but um you know they they do have that fear in the back of their head but they need to know that that knowledge is paramount no matter where they go they that's something that can't be taken Mm -hmm. away so yeah well like one of the things that i see is that at least working in tech is that right you know right now it's an interesting time because we sometimes like credentialize ourselves with the degrees, you know, the accolades, the awards, the recognition. And that's great. Don't get me wrong. That's still very much needed in certain cases. But I think we're starting to see, um, at least in tech, that sometimes, like, systemically, people aren't able to get those things, right? People aren't able to get a college degree. So how can we still um, make sure that those folks who sometimes are the ones that have the brightest ideas, right, Mm -hmm. make it into this ecosystem of you know of working in tech or working in fill in the blank industry um despite not having that and i think we're starting to realize okay there are amazing amazing people that are out there um that might not have you know a college degree but we have to understand why that was and if it is because of systemic you know barriers to college then we have to you know forget about that and and really look at the people at the person for how they think and what it is that they have been able to achieve with their thinking and with their preparation versus you know what kind of paper they have hanging on the wall yeah that is so true because some people can just like steam through degrees licenses certifications then there's also like the the uncredited ones but you know it is a paper on the wall but like to filter through all that to find the really nitty-gritty people that actually know the stuff and that are good at it you know sometimes they don't need that paper on the wall yeah it's hard one of my mentors actually um who are at google um, he is uh, Puerto Rican and black and he didn't finish college 
and uh, he was hired for what he was able to accomplish with his mind. Um, I'm, I'm going to be completely honest that you don't find that often, but that's mm. what I'm saying. Like, I think we're starting to take note of like you as a person versus you and like the paper that yeah. <laughs> comes behind you. Um, and, and, and un- try to understand like systemically what have been those barriers and, you know, how you've been able to just do great things despite not having this one thing. Um, now, you know, I don't have any kids, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell my kids, okay, listen, like uh, pri- priority number one, yes, like go to college, but you, I also need to understand that the world is changing, right? Mm. Um, trends are changing. And so how somebody might have hired you in the past for getting XYZ might not be the case in 15, 20 years, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's important to keep up with, with that. Yeah, no, well. definitely with the times and also the, some of the trends, but some of the stuff you can predict. Like I, people that I, I like, that I might mentor ask me things, um, how to get in corporate America. I always say like, we'll tra- try to take a coding class just right. so you understand the concepts of it. Mm-hmm. Just because even like working in finance, you know, with Excel and formulas and SQL, there, you know, you can go down the list, uh, even to Python, like just having an understanding of that puts you at a benefit. You might not need to know the code or code like a, oh, an yeah. app, but you, you know how it works so you can manage that. Yeah. And, and I have, even though I work in tech, I don't know like code, how to code, right? But I know everything in terms of the terminology and the conceptually speaking what it is so it's always mm-hmm. good to start familiarizing yourself sql very basic like yeah. i know sql at a very <laughs> basic level and there are pro you know sql writers here um but you don't have to know mm-hmm. you don't have to be an expert at it just to your point know and get familiar with it yeah no it's, it's a very important now now you were talking about google like how after uga like how did you choose google yeah or how did google choose you (laughs) yeah so uh, i was very fortunate when i became part of uh the sorority lambda theta alpha i had a group of sisters who really became my mentors in college and one of them actually two of them had gone through a career development program called management leadership for tomorrow mlt and mlt is an organization that helps support Black, Latino, and Native American students in the U.S. um, and preps them to land an internship in corporate America. So I participated in MLT, right? My sorority sister was like, you have to apply. I did this. She had just finished her internship at Goldman Sachs and was going to start. She was going to graduate and start at Google. She's like, you have to do this program. It's great. Fantastic. Apply like today. So I applied. I got in. And MLT really shaped me into being prepared for corporate America, right? Google is, you know, a great company, but it's still corporate America in jeans. You know, it's still (laughs) a for-profit company. So um, the the program, you know, matched me with a career advisor um, who managed like 50 or so students and she was our go-to right so this is all within mlt within mlt yeah all across the country the program at that point only took like 200 people and i thought that is it for undergrad too because i know i learned about it after undergrad for masters so the interesting thing i didn't know this mlt is actually best known for their mba Mm. prep program but I found out about them in undergrad. Oh. So they have a career prep program, which is for undergrad oh, that's students. Awesome. And that's, I thought that that was their, like, you know, bread and butter of, like, all of their uh, programs. But actually, it turns out it's, it is their MBA prep program, uh, which they're most well-known for. But the undergrad program is fantastic. So you get a career coach, right, a career advisor. And each, uh, each coach has about 50 or so people in their cohort. Um, from across the country, you meet four times a year, or at least this was the case, you know, back in the day, (laughs) but you had four (laughs) summits um, and everybody would get together. You would have breakouts with your coach, but then you also have monthly coach calls and monthly assignments. So every month you had to do an assignment. One was like budgeting. The other one was researching careers. The other one was like um, interviewing, you know, people in in their industries just to try to get you to narrow down interests. Mm. Um, and get you used to interviewing, like mock interviews. Um, so by the time that, you know, all of companies open up their internship applications, you are like ready to go. 
resume on point, mock mm-hmm. interviews on point. You know, you had connections already. You already knew the recruiters. So MLT provided that platform. Now, I, crazy enough, and this is not shade for anybody in, in, in banking, but I thought I wanted to go into banking. Um, and I was like, okay, I think I want to go into investment banking. And, and part of that was because just the people around me who were like my mentors and stuff were in banking. Like I told you, my sorority sister did her internship at Goldman Sachs. I think I want to go into banking. Um, I started interviewing with, you know, like your um, – like J.P. Morgan's and uh, PNC and Wells Fargo for internships. <laughs> and I remember the same sorority sister had just started at Google. She's like, why don't you apply to Google? They just got to be like the number one company to work for. You can bring your dog here. She's like, I'll refer you to the internship program. I said, what am I going to do there? She's like, I'm in sales. You know, I'm in sales now. Mm-hmm. I wasn't banking before. I'm in sales now. I'm loving it. You know, it's great. I'm like, okay, fine. Like, mm. sure. She submitted a referral. I applied. And then I started hearing back from all these other like bank companies. And they were like, okay, you know, we want to move you to round two interviews. And PNC actually had given me, uh, ha- had extended an offer already. And I, may, I might have had like a week or two mm. to accept. And I was like, oh, shoot. You know? <laughs> it's a good position to be in, <laughs> it's but it's It's a good hard. position, but I was like, I haven't heard anything from Google. And um, my coach was like, all right, Lucy, you know, you don't know much about Google, but if you want it, you know, talk to the recruiter, see if they, if they can expedite the process for you. So, okay. Email the Google recruiter. I was like, hey, I have this competing offer. It expires on this date, um, but I really want a chance to interview with Google. Literally that same day, they were like, when are you available? We would like to schedule your interviews, you know, in the next few days. Typically... Google at that point would have done maybe one or two phone interviews and then like flown you out to headquarters Mm -hmm. and then do some in-person interviews. But we didn't have that time. So that week I did all of my interviews via phone. I had three interviews (laughs) via phone and uh, they went great and they extended an offer to intern. And I was like, great. Was the one with PNC an internship or a full-time? It was an internship too. I was like, great, this is fantastic. So I went back to PNC and I was like, oh. And, and the, the hiring manager that was going to be my manager or would have been my manager um, was really, really sweet, really nice. I remember getting on the phone with her and I said, hey, you know, I'm really sorry to, to have to decline this. Um, you know, I'm very grateful for you to consider me for this opportunity. Um, you know, I think that this there's another opportunity on the table that might be best aligned for me. And she's like, where are you? Where are you, where are you going? It's like, oh, I'm going to intern at Google. And she was like, what? She's like, <laughs> I don't blame you. She's like, did you know that you could take your dog there? <laughs> <laughs> That's Google's fame to claim, claim to fame. She's like, did you know that you can take your dog there? And I was like, yeah, I know. I don't have a dog, but it is nice. Um, <laughs> She had a dog, so she was really, really happy for me. Um, but I will say, though, that, um, w- like, you know, I felt I felt very blessed to even have mm. the PNC opportunity because I really liked them as a ba- like as a bank across all the banks that I interview with. They were like they I felt like I was most aligned with them and they were most aligned with me. Um, it felt like homey. Mm-hmm. Um, but unfortunately, I had to decline and uh, took the Google internship, moved out to Cali for three months and after that, I was extended a full-time offer. So I went back to UGA, finished my senior year. And uh, I was having a great time senior year with a full-time <laughs> offer under my belt. Um, it takes a lot of stress off your back. Oh, so much, mm-hmm. so much. I just felt so blessed. And uh, yeah, then, you know, moved once uh, I graduated. I think I had a few months and then moved um, that fall to Cali oh. again. And it's... You know, three three years and three and a half years in California, and then I've been um, here in New York City for yeah a little bit over three years, other three and a half years. Wow. So 
Yeah, and I, I was in a similar program in undergrad called Inroads, which I, I recommend is similar to how you... I love Inroads. I didn't do it, but yeah. man, a lot of folks who did MLT mm-hmm. had done Inroads. Yeah, it's very good, and you they they like and with Inroads they do like you they place you in good internships yeah. that are paid, which is an important thing. They they give you training on the weekends, kind of like you mentioned, like job prep, interview mm-hmm. tips, how to manage your money, like all across the board, mm-hmm. and it puts you like already in a good position for when you get to that corporate level or when you're ready to interview for your your your, your real job, I guess yeah. in quotation marks after college because yeah. you're you're way ahead of the rest. So. Absolutely, and also like you know for for people maybe with similar backgrounds as mine, I couldn't go to my parents, or I couldn't go to anybody in my family and say like hey, can you, you know, um, help me with my mock interview or can you help mm-hmm. me with my resume, right? This is Because they they don't know. Like, they didn't know, right? That exactly. wasn't accessible to them. So for programs like an Inroads, like an MLT, a lot of um, my friends in banking also did SEO. Mm-hmm. You know, those programs are fantastic because they really give you the playbook for how to, you know, how to grow your career and how to become part of, corporate America um, in ways that sometimes like people around you within your family can't because they didn't have that access. Yeah. And sometimes like they just came from different areas. Like my mom, she was a teacher, so she didn't have that corporate background. Mm -hmm. So you just get a teacher degree, you go and apply for schools. And I'm not um, downplaying it, but it's a whole different process than corporate corporate America. But the other good thing about Inroads MLT SEO is that it surrounds you with like highly motivated um, POC people of color, so you have that network that you you can always tap and build on, and how you like your your sorority sister um, helped you get into Google as well as like with MLT. That that just gives you already a platform, and that's a little bit why I'm doing this podcast, you know, because you share these stories, and you know, maybe somebody out there doesn't have that friend that can refer them to. Um, these programs, but they listen to this podcast and they can go and research themselves and kind of throw themselves into to these programs and, you know, benefit from them. I got to shout out my mentor, like in high school was Priscilla Matos. Um, she told me about Inroad. She told me about LEAD, which is a program in, in high school, a business program, mm-hmm. you know, and j- those two things have propelled me and allowed me to experience a lot that not, not like the normal mass masses kind of mm-hmm. are able to um encounter and learn from so yeah. it, it definitely gives you puts you on a platform to yeah. for success well no i think like i appreciate this platform and 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 in a way i think what is being created here is really like a megaphone to amplify the resources available to our communities mm-hmm. right so that if someone is interested in going down this path you know going to corporate america getting a college degree whatever you know they have the resources available to them. And sometimes sometimes there are resources, but they're just not amplified enough. People don't mm. know about them, right? And so I, I love what you're doing here, which is the way that I at least describe it in my own words, which is creating that megaphone to share that knowledge, to share the resources to somebody that might not know or might not have anywhere to look to um, to get that. Definitely. And like, so like to pivot off of that, you know, Google is a big company. It is the cream of the crop. You know, a lot of, it's not, it's not an easy place to get a job in, Mm -hmm. but you've, you've been very successful here at Google. You've been here, I think you mentioned seven years or six to seven years, but you've accomplished so much. Like, how do you personally distinguish yourself from your peers? Hmm. Great question. (laughs) So I've been at Google for a little bit over seven years now. I started as an intern in 2011, then as you know, went back, finished my last year, and then started again in 2012. Um, Google is a very interesting place because you are surrounded by some of the brightest people in the world, right? That to me, when I started, was very intimidating, right? You get into the imposter syndrome, which Mm -hmm. is like, do I belong? Am I smart enough? Am I bright enough? Am I, you know, well-rounded enough? And you start to second guess yourself. And I, I had that starting off, right? I was that person that was quiet in, in the meeting rooms and wasn't really asking many questions. And I was just like thinking like, oh, I don't want to say something that seems dumb or stupid. And I found myself getting mad at myself. <laughs> the reason for that is because I would have an idea 
and I would think about it, but because I was so nervous or because, you know, that imposter syndrome, that insecurity was coming to play with me, I would not say it and I would not voice. And then, you know, a minute later, somebody would raise their hand and they would have the exact same idea and then they would say it. And I was like, I was just thinking that. Like, why did I not say it? So I started doing um, vision boarding. Okay. You know, like, what am I, like, you know, I've been at Google for like six months, maybe, maybe a year. Like, what is it that I, I want to do? Like, where do I want to go? Where do I want to take my career? And <clears throat> and I started to like do, you know, visualization. So with vision boarding, like, what do I envision in like two years? Why envision five years? Where do I see myself in 10 years? Um, and I knew that in order to get there, I knew that I had what it would take. I just needed to not change the what, but change the how. So change the how I was participating, change the how I was engaging in the workplace. And I knew that, let's just be real, a lot of people at Google are very like, you know, type A, like super, like mm -hmm. high achievers. I'm like, I was that. I did that, you know, in, in, in high school. Something is preventing me from doing that. I have to break through because if I want to, you know, save money to buy a house. I need to get that promotion so that I can get more money. And I'm not going to get that promotion mm. if I stay quiet. <laughs> and so I, I, I used kind of like a little bit of vision boarding and visualization to work backwards to say like, what do I have to do today to get me to where I'm trying to go? And when I had that breakthrough, <laughs> oh, forget it. I was like talking to everybody. <laughs> I was like this and that. Yeah. So, you know, um, Here's what I propose. I propose that we should do X, Y, C versus that because here are the pros and cons, right? Um, you start to build a courageous voice, mm -hmm. right, in, in, in the workplace, which isn't something, I mean, some people, I guess, are just natural at it, but I, I think that a lot of folks are not natural with that, um, especially if there are parts of you where you're coming into a very high competitive environment, but you come from a community where, you know, again, the imposter syndrome might come into play um, because not a lot of people look like you mm. um, or talk like you or think like you. Uh, but what I started noticing was that people would come to me. So <laughs> people would come to me and were very interested in the work that I was doing on like the diversity and inclusion side, because um Diversity and inclusion has always really been my passion, like being able to, um, and I didn't know that that was a thing until I got to Google, but um, as I was, you know, doing like compensation analysis and mm. all the fun stuff um, in, in prior roles, I always found myself getting involved in um, our ERGs and doing, you know, diversity and inclusion work. I remember one of my projects um, in that space originally was helping um, helping Google launch a Spanish website for um, digital skills and helping with like the translations and, and the tone. And I remember, I'm like, wow, this is definitely something that I have to my advantage that not a lot of people on my team and not a lot of people at Google have. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I started sharing that I was doing that and, and people were interested. They were like, oh, yeah, you're, you're a comp analyst, but you're also doing this other cool thing. Like, tell us about it. And I remember presenting at a team meeting about the work that I was doing that was separate to my, you know, core mm. job as a comp analyst. But people were just so in awe. And they're like, wow, you know, you, you start to you start to talk, you start to share and people start to realize that you have a little edge to yourself mm. because you're bringing that like um, uh, to quote like Lily Gill, you're bringing that like um, cultural intelligence into your work um, and, and that was something that I feel has taken me to the next level, which is like, all right, here's how you might be seeing things, but this is the way that I see things from another perspective that is unique to yours, um, and might, you know, help us get to a better outcome. And I think like, once you start doing that, people are going to tap on you mm -hmm. and say like, I want her on my team or I want him on my team. Um, and that's, you know, I've been, I've been lucky that that has been my, my trajectory here at Google, but I think you have to have that breakthrough first and have that conversation with yourself. Say like, all right, this is where you want to be. This is what you need to do today to mm -hmm. get there. Yeah. Cause it's also an internal reflection and then also like tapping the advice from your mentors or your, your superiors to like, I, my, my first podcast was with Jai Vargas. She kind of mentioned like, have this talk 
with your boss and say like, hey, in two years now, I want to be either making this or be in this position or have these responsibilities and build out a plan. But before you can do any of that, you kind of have to find what you want first before you can even ask for it or, or work towards a plan. Mm-hmm. But also another thing I, I think that's important from what you said is being vocal in those meetings. Like, cause you might have a million and one good ideas or like that are valuable, but if you just keep them to yourself, then how valuable are they? Mm-hmm. They're, they're not, they're not going to help the company. They're not going to help you. They're not going to challenge yourself as well, but um, they could be the next like million dollar idea or, or, or whatnot. And, and can really bring you to a level, like you said, in your, your career and trajectory. Yep. so but like um yeah like what do companies like google do to help promote future leaders like like i know you mentioned that people are coming to you were these more your peers or were they supervisors or a little bit of both like yeah a little bit of both so some of my some of my peers were coming to me because they were interested or they were working on other kind of projects where my experience um played a role in terms of like advisory so sometimes like in my uh seven years at google um tapping into like the dni work right um folks from other teams would come to me whether they be peers meaning like kind of like at the same level or Mm -hmm. managers and say like hey we're doing this project like so i'll give an example um i one of my my core work streams a few years ago was to activate our employees around the world to host events aimed at bridging the digital divide so delivering digital skills right and there was an organization there is an organization within google that focuses on our publisher so these are content creators online Mm -hmm. right who um are kind of leveraging google technology to also like monetize their content which is fantastic but what the team wanted to do was specifically for this community to talk about digital skills and talk about how they can optimize the technology to grow. And they wanted to go to Brazil. Oh, okay. And they were like, hey, we hear that you're doing stuff around the world. We hear that you've done stuff in Colombia. We hear that you've activated, you know, Googlers um, in, in Mexico City. And we want to go to Brazil. And this is like our team and who's going to like sponsor this. We would love your help and we would love, you know, for you to play, play a role in like the content development. It's like, absolutely, you know, and I was on the DNI team, which was, you know, in HR. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is a, a, a team within the business falling under, you know, our global business department, broader, you know, sales. Um, and they came to me and they're like, you know, we have people who are going to work on this, but we really just want your set of eyes. And I kind of played an internal consultant role, right? Like, okay, this is going to work. This is not going to work. You know, um, this data is like us centric you need to find local data to brazil um you know this is very very much um uh you know talking about women but let's talk about women of color or like afro latinas Mm -hmm. in brazil you know so bringing in that perspective um into the project that even though it was outside my core role it was still very much like diversity and inclusion Mm -hmm. so that fed into you know the broader goals of the company of trying to be more inclusive um and having direct business impact, right? Because it's at the end of the day, these are content creators. Mm-hmm. We're talking about people that are using Google technology to grow their businesses, to grow their brands. Added that to my perv review. And then, you yeah. know, that it went well, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think like to your question around how is Google enabling this? I think that one of the unique well, I actually, <laughs> I hear it's unique because I, ha- I haven't really had another mm. job outside of, of Google. I've had jobs in college, but full time, this mm. has been my only one. Um, but I think one of the things that makes Google unique is that there is that flexibility to tap into other projects or become part of other projects that might feel like they're a little bit outside of your core role. Um, but they, they, Google does a good job of um, fostering innovation, right? And so innovation, mm-hmm. if you're doing the same thing over and over and over again, you know, that's not really going to drive innovation. So um, there is a, an environment, a culture of flexing a bit of okay. like being fluid with what it is that you're doing with your like side projects mm-hmm. that you can bring back, right, to your core and really drive impact that way. Um, so we have like 20% projects, right? And and when I first started getting involved in um, diversity and inclusion, it was through 20% projects. So what is the 20% projects? Yeah, know. so 20% yeah. projects. Um, 20% project 
culture or um is this a google thing or is it just it's a google thing um i think other tech companies though Mm -hmm. have this um they might call it different ways but 20 percent of your time can be spent in side projects that might not be you know related to your core role have you for example heard of google cardboard the cardboard you go around and you have like different apps you can do like virtual reality through and you can like place yourself in a museum. Have you heard of that? No, I haven't. (laughs) Well, for those of you who are not aware, I I definitely invite you to Google like Google Cardboard because it's a really cool technology. Very low cost. It's not Google Lens. It's something different. It's not Google Lens. It's Google Cardboard. It's like, it it looks like like binoculars in a sense, but um, made out of cardboard and you can like, Put your phone in there um, and download different apps and you can walk through like museums. Oh, you so can cool. walk through different streets and different murals um, and, and it makes it feel like you're there because it's, you know, VR. Um, that was actually a side project that oh. came from a side project that a group of Googlers, um, you know, worked on. It was it wasn't part of the core role, but that project became so big and that product became so big that. It was like a huge success for us. Um, and and the company enables, you know, that in, innovation through kind of giving their blessing and saying, hey, for 20% of your time, you're able to work on these other cool things. Um, so that's, um, that's what we call at Google 20% projects. Most of the time, um, it, it's, it comes from engineering, mm-hmm. like en- engineers for sure. Like I think one out of the week, like one day they can spend working on other projects. If you're a non-tech though, non-engineering, it really varies on your team. But I think most teams also adopt that same mentality and say, hey, you know, you can work on these other things. Um, And people find that very, very interesting and I think very motivating because, you know, it's um, usually those side projects are things that they care about are very unique. um, But it's... they have learnings that they bring back to them and I think are applicable across the board, whether it's their side project or their core role. No, definitely. Like learning other like things outside of your just your main role or what you studied in college, it gives you a whole – A, it changes your perspective about other things, and then you learn different traits and different techniques and skills, learning those other things that you can bring into um, – your, your day-to-day that can help you improve mm-hmm. and it's, I like I like that idea mm-hmm. yeah. can, can you share any of the 20% things you're working on <laughs> um so I just transitioned teams so right now I'm going through a whole like transitioning period so I, I'm not really working on a lot of side projects right now um some of the other side projects ugh, I can't share specifics mm. I can say some of them have um touched on more like social justice oh, cool. um themes so I've worked on projects that have been related to that. Um, I have, you know, like I mentioned, um, advised on projects internationally and uh, tried to advise on, you know, diversity and inclusive values internationally. Some other projects also include um, trying to, well, this is kind of sort of related to my core role. So bringing you know digital skills to communities um you know haven't haven't touched before so here in the u.s we do some work but also just internationally and like internationally speaking countries where we might not have a google presence right so think about like the bahamas right Mm -hmm. um and and bringing google tools there or haiti yeah so i have i've worked on some of those side projects um let me see what else oh and then just another like tech project related to like system access and system Mm -hmm. provisioning which probably to anyone listening they're like what the heck are you talking about this is very tech it's it's about you know what kind of access we're giving to our um our contingent workforce and streamlining that which um it was very 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 tech heavy but i'm glad that i did that and i learned so much i learned so much about like sheets like spreadsheets and just different <laughs> analyst type stuff. Um, I had a coral in compensation too. And part of that um, as a side project, uh, it was compensation and performance programs as a side project, looking at how can we um, marry or bring in closer performance and, and, and comp, not comp, but more so performance evaluations with 
employee engagement or employee like citizenship right oh. behaviors um so looking at that so yeah my side projects have been a little bit all over the place but i've loved each and every one of them and i to your point i've built different skills mm-hmm. along the way um and you know once i feel settled in this in this role then i'll figure out what's next with my side projects oh that's awesome and then um i remember when i when i met you at that that one award ceremony um, your boyfriend joked that you're running out of wall space for all your awards. So, <laughs> but, <laughs> so I just picture your, your, your wall, like, uh, like the, the Prado in Spain, just full of different awards. But, um, you, you have won a lot and you've been very accomplished. But one thing I want to ask about that. So, you, you know, they say you're, you're the average of the five people you're surrounded with, but maybe learning from other people that have won the same awards and you're on the stage with these people, I'm sure you're backstage talking to them. What do you see are similar traits that you like across the board and are like, what have, is there anything similar? Like, like anything that you can give like a little clue or skill set to work on? Yeah, I think, and and I know that you're going to know this because, you know, Lambda ladies always say this, but I will say that it isn't just true to like, you know, my sorority around the people that I'm mm. with, I think we all feel, um, I don't know if it's an obligation, a responsibility to pave the way for others, mm-hmm. right. To create access for others. I think that the folks that I'm surrounded with have the mentality of, you know, sharing the knowledge, okay. sharing the wealth, um, as opposed to being, you know, more like restrictive with what they know. Mm-hmm. Um, um, the other thing that I will say is that a lot of folks that I know have like that learner mentality are constantly tr- like, you know, reading books, reading newspapers, like reading articles, um, going to these networking events and listening from other, you know, inspiring folks, mm-hmm. um, trying to learn across industries. So yes, while they might be in banking, they're also trying to figure out what's going on in like, I don't know, the fashion world. Right. And I think part of that is just being inquisitive. So being inquisitive is one attribute and one characteristic, another one. Um, there is this, I think, mentality that, that we have or that they have and that I'm, I'm continuously inspired by. And it's something that a lot of folks, if you're in tech, you know, but it's like if you're going to fail, fail fast. Mm. And I think a lot of the folks that I know have that like entrepreneurial like spirit, like I want to do this or I want to do that. And then if it doesn't work, then like, great, it doesn't work. But then they just like move on to the next thing. Right. Um, and, and going back to the fact of them being learners, they learn from it. So that the next time that they're doing something new, it's like something Mm. amazing or 10 times bigger or 10 times better because they failed and failed fast, took those learnings and apply them the next time around. And um, I think that's the, the other characteristic that, you know, they are entrepreneurial in, in nature and they're not afraid to to fail. They're actually, mm. you know, look at that as an opportunity to learn and then create something bigger, something better. Yeah, that's awesome. And, and also with like the, the thing about entrepreneurship, you don't have to start your own company outside of your business or, or your job. You know, there, I think it's called intrapreneurship or something. Intrapreneurship. Yeah, mm-hmm. that you can, like, like you said, and, and kind of piggybacking off of the 20%, bring these projects, bring these ideas to your, 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 your superiors and maybe they'll, they'll be, they'll sign off uh, and or say, Hey, yeah, build on it. And like, let me know. Mm-hmm. And it's all, it's a good testing ground. And you know, if it does fail, it fails, but you, A, you didn't take the risk of leaving your job, uh, right. steady income and B, you learn, for, you, you take those learnings and you build on that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, absolutely. So, um, one thing I asked my, my Instagram followers before we started was, um, and I, I want to ask you like, who would be your, your dream role model? Our mentor that you can have a conversation with i have met her and i've taken a picture with her um but i love dolores huerta oh, okay si mm-hmm. se puede si se puede exactly you know you know for a long time we didn't know that si se puede was started by dolores huerta right mm-hmm. um but she was the one that started it. she was the one that galvanized it and you know um between her and like cesar chavez just the entire movement mm-hmm. um the the issues that she was like, you know, fighting for and how ingrained in the community she was, you know, um, there are, I think some people that prefer to just kind of, you know, they, maybe they're like well off and they're genuinely vested, but they, 
contribute via money via mm-hmm. like monetary funds, which is absolutely fine. But there's something unique about, you know, giving what you're passionate about, giving that thing, your body, your sweat, your tears, right? And and being in the front lines of, um, of activism, I think it's just fantastic. And like how she was able to open up doors, how she was able to negotiate contracts mm-hmm. and negotiate pay um, for the farm workers is just fantastic. And when I look at the contributions that Latinas have made, um, to this country in particular, you know, that's the main one that stands out to me. The first one that stands mm-hmm. out to me. I mean, of course, you have you have a lot more, um, but I just admire her her social activism and drive for social justice. And then what magnifies it is at the time she did this, it wasn't it's not the same resources or acceptance that we have now, which is not where it needs to be. But it, it, it's grown a lot since from when she was out there you know, with the blood, sweat and tears, you know, just getting through and, and, and you know, uh, delivering her message. Yeah, delivering her message. Also, just like how, you know, she was able to join forces with like the Black Panther movement and the connections that were made there. You know, another <clears throat> strong Latina that stands out to me is Sylvia Mendez and the um, uh, the segregation, how, you know, Sylvia and her family fought the segregation that was happening in California. And how that was used as a, you know, um, as a case that ultimately ended up being presented in Brown versus Board and saying like, hey, this happened in California Mm -hmm. and the court just ruled against it. They have to they have to integrate in Cali. And now we're bringing it, you know, to the East Coast and saying, hey, Brown versus Board. Um, And and I think those are um, like a little bit of like the unsung heroes, right, of of where Latinos are today and how we forget like sometimes like, Oh, like we're here and things are great. And it's like, no, like, you know, just like 40 years ago, things were not, things are not great. Um, and, and to your point, just like how these, these women were fighting very systemic barriers to Mm. access. Um, yeah, it's, it's mind blowing to me. And so if I had to choose like, who's my hero, who can I spend, you know, an afternoon talking with, it would be them. And what what's like you said you met Dolores Huerta, but I don't know if you had time to talk to her. I didn't. But no. if you had to ask her one question, what would it be? Oh gosh, that's so hard. Just one, <laughs> just one question. They gave Ugh. you the mic, and they're like, "Lucy, what would you like to ask her?" That's so hard. I have so many questions. I think if I had to narrow it down to one question, I would want to know about the future that she sees for this, for this world, you know, like, Mm -hmm. and I know I've heard, you know, since from her speak, um, what are some of those, those core issues? But I think like if she were to pass the baton to the next generation, which is us, like, what would she want us to to do? Mm -hmm. What she want us to see us do to make, you know, whether it be working conditions, whether it be, you know, fill in the blank issue um, better for the next generation ahead of us. And now to piggyback off of that, I'm sure you <laughs> I'm sure you have mentees. What would be that your answer if they ask you the same question? Mm. Whew, what would it be my answer if they asked me the same question? What would I want them to do or what would I want 100 them to years from for? now when Lucy's CEO of Google and ready to retire with her nice severance package. <laughs> um, you know, I don't know if I, if I say this, I kind of keep this a little bit to myself, but I am, I am also very passionate about like criminal justice and how much that affects our communities, black and Latino communities in mm-hmm. particular. Um, and I think, you know, I don't know if folks have, you know, well, right now just mercy the movies out, but I read the book years ago and also, um, you know, the new Jim Crow, fantastic, fantastic books. Um, if, if, those who are listening haven't gotten the chance to read them, I highly urge you to do that. But um, it, it is a new form of um, of slavery in a sense, in my in my personal opinion. Um, and I think, you know, the the inequities that we're seeing, right, um, when it comes to the criminal justice system, um, from the folks that you know are in, from the folks that got out and are having a hard time find, finding jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, we have to fix all of that. And if I were to pass the baton onward, right? Like we talk about college access, we talk about all this stuff. Personally speaking, I would want the next generation to really focus on how can we um, reduce the systemic 
inequities that we're creating through these other platforms that are limiting and, and um, keeping our people behind. Because, um, you know, we're working on college and all of these things and like economic opportunities, great. But the problem that is going to be feeding people to those opportunities because there are other systems that are mm. keeping them back or holding them back. So I think we have to look holistically at the problem um, and figure out ways to address that. Definitely. There's always going to be something that we, we I know we that can was a really on. heavy. <laughs> I think <laughs> the question went into like a really heavy mode, but mm-hmm, yeah, I think that's going to be. And I think there are ways that we can do that now, but um, yeah, it's going to be, I think, a system that we're going to have to really, really challenge. And I think the next generation, well, our generation and the next generation mm-hmm. um, can do that. Definitely. And, and once we accomplish me, accomplish some of these, these goals and close the gaps and, and you know, not uh, it's going to be hard it's not it, hopefully it is in our lifetime but close the social injustice like stop and end that you know we got to make sure that the next generation keeps that and doesn't lose sight of that and and you know works on it and admire not admires but like builds on it you know and and builds it because you know sometimes it is from childhood you know these these things in your head that are built in there and these prejudices and you mm-hmm. know we got to make sure our kids don't have that. Don't have that, <laughs> or, yeah. And then other people, their kids as well in the, in the school system. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, and, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, like, the other the other piece of that is um, also just, like, I think, like, you know, when I take a look at where I am and where my parents were or where, you know, my kids are going to be, um, there's definitely a level of privilege, right, that they're going to have, that my parents didn't have, that I didn't have. Um, and I think reminding um, them how how privileged they are compared to previous generations, right? Um, to have the access that they have, to have the opportunities that they have, and not taking that for granted, but taking that as a responsibility, right? To mm-hmm. then continue to do better and bigger for the generations to come. Definitely. Okay, now like let's close this out with like the lightning round. Oh gosh. So okay. it's, it's it's pretty simple. Um, you mentioned a lot of stuff, but like, what's one book that you love forever that you can either reread or you recommend or buy someone? Hmm, one book. You're asking me like one book, oh, you one can, you question. Can, you can give three if you like. Um. So one book, um, a people's history of the United States. Okay. That would be one book. I also so right so that's I guess an old book but another book that i'm reading right now is white fragility um no yeah this is a little bit more also too on like the social justice front but um really great book and touches on just like you know systems and systemic injustices and how the u.s has been built um and very very great historical context awesome and then um on instagram somebody asked um how do you personally overcome self-defeating habits Ooh. A good one. Self-defeating habits. Um, one, surround yourself by people who know you and can remind you, right, of when you're doing this and really like call you out when you're doing it and and know you well enough to pull you back into moments where you're like, okay, I need to stay positive. Um, so one, make sure you have you surround yourself with those folks. The other piece is just how, you know, they recommend like physical therapy. There's also mental therapy. And I think it's important to kind of what I mentioned earlier, do some of that visualization, do some some of that um, mental training to say like, all right, when I go through these moments, what are the things that I personally need to keep top of mind, right, mm-hmm. for myself to help me get through them, right? Whether it be, what are your goals two, three years from now, whether it be, you know, reflecting on my parents' experiences and why they came. Um, so each person is different, right? You might have very specific um, goals for yourself, but just bringing it back to that, practicing a little bit of meditation as well um, and being truly like present with yourself because it's okay. Like it's okay to have those voices. It happens to all of us. Um, you just have to work on like how can you, what are the things that you need to keep top of mind when those things happen, uh, what works for you, and then implement them and then, you know, amplify that with the people around you. 
But thank you so much, Lucy. I think we learned like a, a lot from from this this episode, and a lot that I can take away. And I like the whole vision board thing, and you know, finding your why and where you want to go, and then just propelling like yourself forward with that, as well as being outspoken and um, inquisitive, which always helps. Yeah. Um, because if you're sharing your thought process, then people respect that. Yeah, people respect that. You know, don't be afraid to speak up. Like my mom says, like closed mouths don't get fed, right? So if you want that promotion, you're not gonna do it. <laughs> you're not. It's not gonna happen with you staying quiet. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I said before, also being inquisitive, having that learner mentality, because you know, knowledge is something that nobody can take away from us. So definitely. So that's important to me. That's important also with the people that I'm surrounded by that they share that as well. But yeah, no, thank you for this opportunity. This was amazing. And, um, you know, I just appreciate, I'm grateful for this being the the amplification for our community of like resources, resource sharing, story sharing, um, and, and inspiration. So thank you for making me a part of it. Thank you. And then uh, a new development with um, Platform Latino, we're now on Google Podcasts. So I, I made sure <laughs> to align it before I interview somebody that works at Google. But um, so now you can find us on Spotify. Um, Apple Podcasts as well as Google Podcasts. But thank you again, Lucy. Thank you, and thanks to everyone listening. Thank you. Take care. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you did, hit subscribe, and of course, follow us on IG, Facebook, and all other social media platforms at Platform Latino. That's P-L-A-T. F-O-R-M-L-A-T-I-N-O. Thanks again and have a wonderful and inspired day.